All right. So last week, Saul is chosen as king. He's anointed by Samuel privately. He's chosen publicly uh, through uh, the casting of lots at an assembly. But there's uh, there's some some hesitancy. Some that's rooted in a lack of trust. You don't see a lot of evidence that Saul has a deep connection with the Lord, and that comes out in multiple ways. Last week we saw it coming out in this again this reluctance, this lack of courage in terms of saying yes to what God was putting in front of Saul. I also said I don't believe Saul was doomed to fail. There are people who believe God destined Saul to fail. That's not where I'm coming from. I think Saul had every opportunity. To be successful as a king, he just never dealt with that fundamental heart issue, and it, and it, and it haunted him, it plagued him, and he did fail miserably. Uh, you don't have to agree with me. If you don't, you may just have to make different application as we go through uh, these passages looking at Saul. I'm approaching them from the perspective that Saul actually did have the opportunity to be faithful uh, to what the Lord had put in front of him. So today, we're at, this is the best. This is Saul at his best. We're going to see Saul's first act as a king, and again... Uh, this is this is probably the most uh, positive story we have about him. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead and all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said, give us seven days which you would ask for an extension as well, so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. So context. Uh, here's a map up on the screen. Jabesh Gilead is in the, the, ta- the area of Gad. It's the red star. And there's evidence that this guy Nahash, the Ammonites lived down there to the south and the east of Israel. They were constantly invading, trying to take some territory. They actually were related to Israel. The Ammonites were descended from Lot, Abraham's nephew. So there's, uh, there, there's some family tie there, but much more animosity than love. And this guy Nahash has some evidence that he'd been going through Gad and besieging cities and gouging out eyeballs. That's what he was doing. Why gouge out the right eyeball? Uh, cities were walled. So if you set up a siege, that's putting your army around the city. If you were in the city, you put an archer on the wall and they would shoot arrows at the guys who were setting up this siege. If you don't have your right eye, then you don't have any depth perception. You're not going to be very good at shooting arrows and you're going to be terrible in hand-to-hand combat because you have no field of vision. But you are still going to be able to work. So this tree, think of it like um, protection money. You're going to give us money, Israel, Jabesh, Gilead, you're going to give money to Nahash and he's going to agree to not attack you. And so every year you're going to give him money, and every year that means he's not going to attack you. And so these guys could still work. They were, it was, uh, they were agrarian society. They could still farm with one good eye. So the, the Nahash comes, sets up his siege around Jabesh. The guys are scared. They say, hey, let's make a treaty with you. He says, sure, on the condition I gouge out your right eye. And they say, give us some time. May, he's not being gracious to them at all. Uh, He's been moving through. Again, there's some evidence he'd been moving through Gad already. And so maybe he said, no one's come to the rescue of any of these other cities, so they're not going to come to their rescue. Or more likely, he says he wants to bring disgrace on all of Israel. He hopes that some reinforcements come, and he's confident that he can defeat all of them and take even more territory than just this one city. So this is what the elders do. Verse 4, when the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul... 
and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen and he said, what's wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces and sent the pieces by messenger throughout Israel, proclaiming this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and those of Judah 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we will surrender to you and you can do to us whatever you like. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions during the last watch of the night. They broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. So seven days. I don't think messengers were sent out to lots of cities. There wasn't enough time. I think messengers were sent only to the Blue Star, Gibeah. That's where Saul lives, down in the area, the territory of Benjamin. There's family history between those two cities, between Jabesh and Gibeah. You can read about it in Judges 19 to 21. It's a, it's a tangent for us, but going back, they would go to people who have some level of affinity, affection, kinship with them. It also makes sense because it's where Saul lives, and he's already been chosen king, and he has the beginnings of an army. Last week, we saw that some valiant men whose hearts the Lord stirred went with Saul back to his hometown. So we don't know how many, but there's the beginnings of an army. So if you're in trouble, it makes sense that you would go to a city where, one, you have some family ties, and two... That's where the king is, and he's got some guys ready to fight. Don't read anything negative into Saul uh, being uh, continuing to farm. There, there wasn't a capital city. There wasn't a throne. There, there wasn't anything kingly for him to do. He wasn't shirking his responsibilities. What Samuel had said to him is, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. And at that point, there was nothing for him to do. This is his first opportunity to really function as a king, as one who would lead his people, as one who would deliver them from the hands of their enemies, and he does take advantage. So he hears what's happening. The Spirit of God comes upon him. He's anointed or equipped or gifted, whatever you empowered, whatever word you want to say. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit's also working in the hearts of people. The fear of the Lord falls on the people. When Saul sends this gruesome message through the, through the, ark, the ox parts, what he's saying is, this is what's going to happen to y'all. It's a euphemism. This is what's going to happen to your ox. And this is what's going to happen to y'all if you don't rally in support of your brothers and sisters who are in trouble. And there's a massive response. They gather in that yellow star, Bezek, about 10 miles from uh, where the Ammonites are sieging uh, Jabesh. 330,000 troops. Massive amount. I think it's the second most in all of the Old Testament. Second largest army we ever see gathered from Israel. That had been one of the issues for them during the period of the judges is people were not necessarily rallying to defend their brothers and sisters. And so here we see, all right, here's, here was, here's a good thing about a king. He was able to rally the troops. And again, it's not troops. It's just men. It's just us. And we all gather together, 330,000. They create a strategy. It's tried and true, divide the army into three groups for a multi-pronged attack. They go in between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. And they sowed some seeds of uh, maybe disinformation. They told the, the, the elders, we're going to rescue you by tomorrow. And what the elders tell the Ammonites is, tomorrow we're going to surrender. That word surrender actually means come out to you. 
And it can mean surrender, or it can just mean come out to you. There's a bit of a double meaning there, and the Ammonites took it as surrender. And so maybe they let their guard down a little bit. Maybe they were celebrating, and and it was easier for um, Saul's army to attack them. And Saul's army does and slaughters them, delivers the city from this siege. And we'll see how the people respond in verse 12. The people then said to Samuel, he's a prophet, remember, who was it that asked, shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us so that we may put them to death. But Saul said, no one will be put to death today. For this day, the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul their king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the Israelites held a great Celebration. So last week, we saw the political choosing of Saul through the casting of lots. What you see here is this religious uh, festival, this religious feast, celebrating the demonstration or, of, of kingship. This is what they wanted. They wanted a king who would deliver them. They got it, and they're celebrating before the Lord. Thank you for giving us this king. So maybe it's for us, we vote, and then there's a victory party There was this political selection, and now you have the religious celebration on the back end. And we actually see Saul respond very well. He had been, the Bible actually says at the close of chapter 10, there were people who despised him. They didn't bring him gifts. They were critical of him. And after this victory, there's some guys who are saying, hey, let's go get those guys and let's kill them. And Saul, to his credit, responds very gracefully and says, no, we're not going to do that. And he doesn't take any credit. The Lord gave us the victory. So, again, this is Saul at his best. I do think you can see hints at his Achilles heel, at his fatal flaw, which he doesn't have. There's not a deep relationship with the Lord. Uh, The Lord is the God of Israel, but there's not really an indication that he's the God of Saul. And that never really gets addressed when he embarks on this military strategy. He doesn't ask the Lord. He doesn't say, what should we do? He just copies somebody else's playbook. It works. It works. But there's not a sense of him inquiring of God and saying, how would you have us proceed? And as you'll see moving forward, that's what David does. And again, he's a king after God's own heart. There's a contrast between him and Saul. So again, it's not, it's not terrible, but at this point we do see there are just these, these small indications that Saul is not vitally connected to the Lord. He never addresses that issue. And ultimately, I believe that's why he fails, not because he was destined to. From the beginning. So for us, again, this is a good, this is good Saul. And the thing I can, I would encourage us to look at is this idea of calling. We see Saul's calling over the last two weeks progressing through three stages. His call is, is first, it, he discovers it. He's not even looking for, he's looking for donkeys. He's not looking for any sense of destiny. And Samuel says to him, you're going to be the leader. You're going to be the leader of This nation, the hearts of the people are with you. God's chosen you to deliver his people from the hands of their enemies. I believe God has a calling on every one of our lives as well. We call that doing your deal here. There's good works that God has created in advance for us to do. And and that those are the specific ways each of us cooperate with God and with what he's doing in our city and in our world. The specific ways he's redeeming people and establishing his kingdom here on earth. Now, some people, they don't like the terminology. They don't like the concept. What they want to say is, I'm a spirit-filled believer. And so, like Saul, whatever my hand finds to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to love God and I'm going to love people. And I don't have any, I don't have any issue with that. If you can run that way, then by all means do. For most people, that uh, broad 
field or that broad vision is actually paralyzing. And the idea of focusing a little bit, having a little bit more specificity, actually seems to free people up to run a little faster. That's why we focus so much on what is your specific calling. And and you, you have one. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's a part he wants you to play in what he's doing in our city and what he's doing in our world. And it's not for you to determine. It's just for you to discover. It's an aha moment where the Lord speaks to you in some way and you go, that's that's it. And there's some ways listed up there, some ways that we discover. It, it doesn't just mean sitting in your chair and waiting on God to hit you with a lightning bolt. Trial and error is a great way. Look for opportunities to serve and see if the shoe fits. Some things are going to be really natural for you or seem really natural and, and it, you're going to enjoy it. And there's going to be fruit and like keep doing those things. Other things for you are going to be a nightmare and they're going to be difficult and it's going to make you nervous and you're not going to enjoy it. And maybe move away from those things. Maybe the Lord's grace is not on you to do those things. We have a class here called Fit. We do it every spring. And that's all we do in that class is try to help people uh, clarify what their calling is. There's nothing wrong with doing some doing a little work. God reveal God reveals it to us. It's revelation, but it is to us to discover and he invites us into that process. You see Saul's calling is confirmed. For him it's confirmed in three different ways and I think all of those actually are still available for us. Saul's calling is confirmed through the spirit and this out of hundreds of thousands of men Saul is chosen to be the king. I would think that, that would re- that's something you hang your hat on. When you're having a bad day, you remember, you know what? There's 600,000, 700,000 men, maybe more, in Israel, and he, I got chosen. I didn't campaign. I didn't run. I got picked. That's what it meant for the, the casting of lots. I would think that that would encourage Saul around his calling. The Holy Spirit does the same thing for us. Many of the same ways that uh, he reveals calling to us, he also confirms an inner sense of peace, an inner sense of joy that may be one of the things, dreams, visions. Saul's calling is confirmed through the people. They say, long live the king. In general, they respond positively to him. There is a, a pocket that is disrespectful and despises him. But on the whole, in the main, they respond positively. Same thing for us. People who love God and love you, they're able to see things in you that maybe you're not. If you're operating in your calling... Most likely, whatever you're doing is coming easily to you. And we have a tendency to dismiss what is easy. We think it's insignificant. And we think every, it's easy for everyone. We devalue what comes easily to us. You don't realize it doesn't come easy to anybody else. And sometimes it's one of the places where having righteous relationships can be really valuable. They can say, There's, you're actually good at this. There's fruit in your life here. And everybody doesn't have it. Not everybody can... Talk to a stranger and get them to open up. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can open up the Bible and help somebody make a connection with the truth there. Not everyone can do that. Not everyone can help people feel welcome when they're new. That's, that's a gift. Not everyone can do that. So there's some things. Not everyone has these particular passions. Not everyone has a passion to see trafficking ended. We all would say it's bad, but it doesn't necessarily stir us to action. So your friends... Love God and love you can see those things and they can help confirm your calling and circumstances. Saul had three very specific signs that Samuel laid out in front of him. He said, these are, you're going to experience these three 
uh, episodes on your way home. And those are going to confirm that you're the king. And God still does confirm through signs. It's usually in the way of opportunities. We talk about in the church, we talk about open doors and closed doors. And that's one of the ways that God will confirm your calling. It's through opportunity, uh, doors that are open for you, opportunities that are given to you. And when you say yes to this, what Penny said, she said yes to being a child care volunteer and then to work being the director for babies and then elementary school and then director and then pastor. She said yes to the opportunities that were given to her and God led her to the place that she is now. He does the same thing in your life. Again, it's usually through opportunities that the Lord Confirms. Another way of looking at this is the idea of, nope, I'm not going to do that yet. So last thing we see from Saul, we'll do that in a second. Last thing we see from Saul, we see calling discovered, we see calling confirmed, and we see calling demonstrated. He actually bears fruit. He gathers a group of 330,000 men to fight. We don't see that often in the Old Testament. He defeats the Ammonites. He frees the city. There's success. There's a win. And the same thing is true for us. God, one of the ways he reinforces our calling is by us being successful. Where have you seen fruit? Where are the winds? Now, there is a a small subset of people, and this is real, whose calling is to hard ground, and they rarely see fruit. They're plowing hard ground. They're among hard people, and they'll give their life and never see anything. That, That is righteous and good and right, and it is a small subset. For most of us, If we're operating in the place that God has called us to, with the power that he's given us, we will see fruit. And honestly, it won't be that hard. Apples don't have to work, apple trees don't have to work hard to produce apples. You're not going to have to work that hard because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. So those are the three stages. Let me give you one concept to put them under anointing. We saw that last week when Samuel anointed Saul. He poured oil on Saul's head. That was a physical act that had spiritual significance, dual significance. Consecration, Saul is set apart for a particular task, and enablement. Paul is, or Saul, excuse me, is given power to accomplish that task. Same thing is true for us. God anoints us with his spirit. He sets us apart for particular tasks. I think people talk about staying in your lane. That's that idea. This is what God, this is, here's the road that God has given me. Here's the, here's where I'm plowing and I'm going to stay here and do this. And then God also empowers me in that place where he's called me to be effective. So the way I want us to close, and we, we, we should have enough time to do this. Again, it was something that in my mind, it, it was nice. We'll see how it works. It worked at nine. There's more people here. So we'll just do our best. We're going to anoint people today. We're not going to pour oil on your head. That was mostly my decision. It's a little too intimate for me. What we're going to do is make a cross on the back of your hand with oil. It's not, there's nothing magic about the oil that came from Kroger. But what we're praying and what we're believing is that it's representative of God pouring his spirit out upon you. If you know your lane, if you say it's written in concrete, I know what God has called me to. If you know, then we want to pray for God to anoint you this morning, which is not saying that you haven't been anointed up to this point. We're just asking for him to empower you again, to remind you that you've been set apart for this work. And we're just going to make a cross on your hand, and we're going to trust that that oil is representative of of, uh, an increased level of activity of his spirit in your heart. And we want everyone who fits in that category, I want you to get prayed for Today, we'll have ministry teams up here and um, 
we've got, we have enough time, I think, to make sure everyone who wants to get prayed for can. You may be sitting in the room today and say, I don't have a clue. I don't know. We would love to pray for you as well, that God would reveal and confirm your calling to you, which doesn't mean you're less than, it doesn't mean you're worse, it doesn't mean God doesn't like you, it doesn't mean you're spiritually dull, it doesn't mean any of that. All it means is that on June 25th, you don't know. And so we're going to ask for God to speak to you clearly today and for God to then confirm that calling. I will say this, there's always steps of risk involved. I don't know anyone who's kind of gotten the plan in advance while they were sitting on their couch. Normally... Normally, you have a sense, and then maybe there's an opportunity, and you say yes, and you step into that. And God will meet you there and either confirm, hey, this is, this is good and right and where you need to run, or this isn't the thing from you, and you move on. But there's almost always steps of risk involved, and we want to pray that you'd be sensitive to the voice of God and how he's speaking to you uh, in these days, because he has good things for you to do. And we want to make sure that you're running as fast as you can in the lane that he's created for you. So, Bo, you and uh, the, whoever's helped, Kaylee, y'all can come back up. Ministry teams, if y'all could come, grab one of those little bottles of oil, that'd be great. I'm going to pray, and Bo will dismiss us in a few minutes. Again, every one of you that fits in one of those two categories, please let us pray with you this morning. Y'all can stand, if you would. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and that you would work. It's just oil. It's, it's nothing. And God, and we're praying that you would infuse this physical symbol with spiritual power and reality. God, my prayers for all of those who are in the room this morning who would say, I don't know. I'm not sure. Would you speak with clarity and consistency to them? Here's the way. Here's, walk in it. Here's the thing. Grab onto it. These are the good works. This is how you cooperate with what I'm doing in your world. Here are your gifts. Here are your passions. Here's where they line up with the deep needs of people in our city and our world. God, I pray for those who know. As, as sure as they know their name, they know what you've called them to. Would today be a day of equipping and empowering? Would you give new gifts this morning? strengthen those who maybe have grown weary in the work that you've called them to. Maybe they're not seeing a lot of fruit. Would you encourage them this morning and give them grace to persevere? All we can do is put oil on people's hands. And God, we're asking you to pour out your spirit. In Jesus' name.